Hi, and welcome to the I Believe Your Abuse podcast, where we will talk all things narcissistic abuse. Thank you for tuning in to the very first episode. I'm your host, Brandy Fuller-Anderson. When I first met my now ex-husband, I had a secure job as a counselor and social worker. I was a single mother, but I had my own home, my own belongings, even money and savings. At the time, I had been in graduate school about five years, working towards my doctorate in clinical psychology. I was fit at an ideal weight. I enjoyed working out, and I was happy with the way that I looked. I knew what I wanted in life, and it all seemed to be coming together. I was happy. Nothing could have prepared me for what was about to happen to my seemingly ideal world, to my financial comfort, my self-esteem, even my relationship with my children. Nothing. Even with my experience now, it's hard to put my finger on what exactly would prepare a person for their first intimate encounter with a narcissist. The topic of narcissistic abuse is becoming increasingly popular in recent years. If you were in a relationship with a narcissist or you're doing internet searches of traits or behaviors trying to understand what was wrong with your previous partner, or you're digging around because you have suspicions that your current partner may be a narcissist, then you likely came across thousands of articles, books, blogs, and memes. Information on narcissists and on narcissistic personality disorder and narcissistic abuse is out there. If you look for it. Which makes me very happy, makes me sad that victims are having to search for these terms to get past the turmoil, but happy that there's starting to be some light shined on the subject. It's still unfortunate, though, that it seems that it's just not a subject that interests anyone until they have been a victim to a narcissist. And now that I know they exist, I know how scary this really is. The more people out there that are just unaware of this phenomenon, this trauma that is narcissistic abuse, the more people are out there that are potential next victims of a narcissist. And these people aren't just in danger of being unknowingly in the grips of a narcissist. They're also a danger because they're generally unable to understand validate and sympathize with those of us that have already been the victim of a narcissist. And every time that a survivor is met with a lack of validation for their experience, it victimizes them all over again. On this show, we'll discuss an overview of this often invisible abuse to hopefully lay a foundation for future episodes by giving you an idea what we're here for, what you can expect, and what some of my disclaimers are. You'll hear a little of my story, or at least how it started when my realization came to light. 
I think it'll be a great starting point for the many informative and interesting episodes yet to come as we push forward the healing process and start to realize the strength that we gain from this experience and how to use it to our benefit in the future. So let's get to know each other. Secrets seal the abuse we experience with a narcissist. To stop the abuse, we have to start by stopping the secrets, stopping the silence. We need to keep telling our stories, trying to help others to understand and support those who are digging their way out of the trenches each and every day. The healing process may be a painful one for some people, especially those just beginning it. And I wanna make sure you're all safe, so please know that depending on where you are in your recovery journey, if you have unhealed wounds, anything in any episode could be a trigger for you. I encourage you to notice when you're being triggered by a topic or an answer to a topic and continue to explore that topic until you no longer feel triggered by what you hear. Paying attention to the things that trigger you will aid you in working through them and learning to avoid triggers in the future. Feeling pain during the early stages of recovery, being overwhelmed by new information and while sorting out the confusion is all perfectly normal. You have been through something so damaging and confusing and it's natural in the early stages of your healing to mentally refute any conflicting information that doesn't easily sit with you. A little bit of denial is your own defense mechanism. It's okay. If you feel yourself getting angry over responses or survivor stories, or if you have difficulty accepting a clinical explanation to the point that you wanna dig your heels in and demand that it not be true, please continue to educate yourself and try to remain open-minded while deciding how your particular situation might fit into the information that you're learning. Keep in mind, there's not always one right answer to questions. Not every explanation will pertain to your particular experience. There can be vast differences in other survivor stories, even when both discussed partners are a narcissist. And that behaviors can vary depending on things like overlapping traits or level of functioning. It's also important to pay attention to your well-being as you start to uncover the abuse that was disguised as your fantasy future. And please, if you develop any feelings about hurting yourself or others, or you have any debilitating depressive thoughts, please seek out professional therapeutic intervention as well because your safety is very, very important. You're so much stronger than you even know and will be forced to learn. And one day, when you climb your way all the way out of this experience, the world's gonna have one more unbreakable badass in it. This is all about making sure everyone moves from victim to survivor. But most importantly, most importantly, know that at no given time am I ever offering excuses for the disgusting, selfish, 
dishonest, heartless, soulless, and unthinkable behaviors perpetrated on victims by these self-centered, weak-minded, abusive shitheads. We want to have an understanding of how their fragmented minds lead them to the common behaviors seen by most people with MPD. But we want to know this not to pity them, not to offer justification for them, but to gain an understanding that there's nothing wrong with us. There's nothing we could have done differently for a different outcome. And there is nothing that we can do to heal them or to change their behaviors. And this is all important. But I just wanted to make sure that you know that having an understanding does not and will never excuse these behaviors or offer justification for treating those around you poorly and selfishly. We are here to heal from the damage they cause. This isn't about them or what they need. For clarity in this and all future episodes, I want to quickly touch on the word narcissist because I know that there's often some uproar in psychological communities and maybe even with the general public with how the word has become so popular that it may be overused or over what the meaning of the word really is or if it's being used incorrectly. It's important that we all be on the same page here. This is strictly interpretation. When you hear someone discussing a narcissist, you can be sure that you're likely hearing someone discuss a person who appears to have narcissistic personality disorder or NPD. I say appear because most narcissists will never formally be diagnosed by a professional. They don't tend to seek out help. And there are few professionals qualified to accurately diagnose and treat them anyway. But I find this official diagnosis unnecessary. Let's be real. If you were in a relationship with a narcissist, you know you were in a relationship with a narcissist. You may also hear people demand a separation between the word narcissist and a person with a personality disorder. These people state the word narcissist simply refers to a person who has narcissistic traits and that would be much different than someone with a personality disorder. Truthfully though, every person has some level of narcissistic traits. So with that rationale, that would make everyone a narcissist. And well, that's just dumb. So I don't believe such a distinction is necessary. Just know that for the purpose of my discussion here, a narcissist is someone who has consistently displayed the behaviors of a typical person with narcissistic personality disorder. Also, when telling my personal stories or making references, I will generally refer to the narcissist as a he, and this is just for ease of telling my personal story as the narcissist in my life was my now ex-husband. And it helps me to stay consistent, but know that narcissists can be both male and female. I acknowledge this and I'm making no judgment to the contrary, no matter what term I use to generically describe them. Their gender or relationship status will have little bearing on any of their typically seen narcissistic behaviors. Also, please be patient with the sound quality in these first few episodes. 
I have tried my best to avoid some of the background noise that may seep in from time to time. However, I have some construction work that's going on literally right on the other side of the wall from where I record, so I've done my best to keep the distraction to a minimum, but it seems no matter what I do or try a little bit, it seems to find its way in every once in a while, so please just be patient and I promise the quality will get better after the first few episodes. And just one further disclaimer, and this will be a one-time only disclaimer, I would be truthful in telling you guys that I did not swear like a sailor before marrying my narc husband, but it was definitely an ugly trait that I picked up and carried out of that relationship, either as the result of mimicking his speech since all he did was cuss, or maybe because I was living such a stressful and aggravating life that my only way of coping was to express my anger through conversation. I really don't have the answer for this. However. It is what it is, and you'll likely hear some offensive language from me at some point, because liars and users, they, they all just really piss me off. So hopefully this is not offensive for you, or maybe we'll just be rare enough that it never gets in the way of why we're here. The fact you're here listening to this likely means you've found yourself tangled up with one of these heinous individuals. Maybe you're still searching for clarity. Maybe you're trying to find hope that you can make this troubled relationship work. Maybe you're looking for anyone else to understand the story that you have to tell. And maybe you're still trying to figure out, like seriously, what the fuck is going on? Education on this topic gaining some insight, fully understanding what's going on and what can and can't be changed is an important part of the healing process. Hearing survivor stories, knowing that it's a painful journey but that you're not alone and you're understood and things do and will get better is all very important and this is what we're here for. Wherever you are in your recovery process, I hope that you find some healing as you educate yourself and find support from others who've been through the same experience. I'm sorry you're going through what you're going through, but it does get easier. I was with my narcissist husband for seven very long painful years. When I was trying to sort out the dynamics of my relationship, that made no sense to me, writing became my greatest reprieve. I kept journals of my feelings and attempts to sort through them and find insight into them that would help me to understand my marriage, learn from my mistakes, and heal from my experience. So I thought I would start this podcast with my first journal entry to share a little bit about my story. And if this sounds familiar to anyone, it's because this entry can also be found in the intro to my book, I Believe You. Okay, so this is my story. I remember a time that I was driving in the truck with my husband. We were off to do a a little job, so we didn't have any of the kids with us. And out of nowhere, he became enraged, one of his little tantrums. One of the many, many days that he was just upset and I didn't know why. 
I have no idea what it was that set him off. Most times, I wasn't even a part of it. He would battle with something in his own head and usually once it finally exploded out loud, he would talk as though we'd been conversing the whole time. And whatever I was saying is what had got him to this point of uncontrolled rage. He continued to yell at me about topics that seemed minor, that we'd not even discussed before. Some that had not even actually happened before, I had no idea what he was talking about. He explained why he hated me, and why I was to blame for everything he was unhappy about. And he did this as he was driving quickly and erratically. Something that's especially frightening to me already, as I experienced some anxiety as a vehicle passenger. My heart was pounding as he was weaving in and out of traffic, cutting people off and speeding around corners. He reached over and unbuckled my seatbelt and told me that he was trying to figure out a way to crash into something on just my side. He just wanted rid of me. I looked around for a way out, confused and searching my panicking mind for the right words to say. What is going on? But he became angrier as my cries for him to stop just seemed to be interrupting his train of thought as he plotted my death. When I pulled out my phone and tried to call for help, he just grabbed it and threw it right out the window. This guy was the other half of the person that I had committed my life to and trusted to protect me. And he wanted to kill me. And it all seemed to happen absent of me or my input. I was trapped inside this deadly weapon that he was completely in control of. I was at the mercy of his mental illness, hoping and praying it would release its hold on him before he did something irreversible. It now occurs to me just how much this feeling in this moment mirrored how I felt throughout my entire marriage. I was trapped in his false reality. I was completely alone. And my cries for help went unheard. From the outside looking in, it might have appeared as though I had some control of certain aspects of our daily lives. But the truth was that absolutely everything in our lives tiptoed around his mental illness, his moods, his lies, his motives. I dealt with two distinct personalities, was victim to his constant mental abuse, and acted as scapegoat for his many lies and justifications. I was a victim of his illness and addictions, and until now, a victim of his secrets and lies. I journaled my experiences as an escape from these secrets and a way to keep accurate account of a life that made little sense to me. I wrote down all that I had been through, not with the intention of being vindictive, but rather an intention to be validated. This life did happen to me and pretending it didn't was like being victimized again each and every day. 
I was trapped. We weren't on any journey together. I was trapped in this life and he was in the driver's seat. I didn't even realize how much so until I had leaped out of that vehicle. Once I had realized that we were driving in circles and I was never going to end up at a better place. Can you relate to this? Let's just talk about the damage that occurs with the secrets that we keep. When I started a blog based on my personal story, my writings weren't intended to be shameful, vengeful, or even saturated in my own self-pity, but rather just an open, honest, analyzed, and heartfelt account of the experiences as they happened to me. They were stories of experiences and emotions that I had never spoken during my marriage. However, years of keeping it all so private and personal damaged who I am, how I see myself, and my trust in others. Do you remember the day the secrets happened? For me, there was one point in my relationship where I realized that his behavior was not going to change. And simultaneously, that I was not going to stop putting up with it. And I knew enough to be embarrassed of this behavior. This is when I stopped sharing with others the many unbelievably disgusting behaviors that became private between the two of us. If he was hurtful to me, I pretended he wasn't. If I found him cheating, I didn't share that with anyone. I knew that my friends would ask why I was putting up with it and wasn't leaving him. And I knew that even strangers would consider me weak and pathetic for sticking around. And I knew this because I considered myself weak and pathetic for sticking around. Now, one thing that we can learn from this experience is that this is such a huge red flag. The secrets. If you get to a place where you feel like you have to keep part of your relationship a secret, where you feel like you have to lie to yourself and to others, where you're embarrassed about the things that you tolerate with your partner and in your relationship, this is not good, guys. This is such a warning sign that whatever is happening is toxic. It damages everything about you and you need to get away from it. But not only that, now this is definitely a morbid consideration, but my mind tends to see all angles. And this is mostly because of my research of this disorder, but also because I can really see how this could have been how my relationship ended up. But I hear stories about something terrible happening to a person, a murder story or a missing person, and their spouse is the main suspect, usually, right? But then they start to interview family and closest friends, and those people say, oh no, things were wonderful between them, or we were never made aware of any dangerous dynamics in that relationship. 
And when I hear these stories, instead of thinking, like maybe most people, that the other partner clearly is not the guilty party, right? Because they had a solid relationship or else at least those closest to them would know better. But instead, I think this person was maybe keeping secrets or living a lie. Now, surely this is not the case with every story that you hear. I'm thinking just this one side of it, but it is just oh so important that you not shoulder the burden of secrets in your relationship. That there are people you can confide in and you can discuss what's really going on. So there's always someone aware of what's really going on and how you're really doing. Because guess what? When you're in a toxic relationship too long, there is always a chance something will happen to you. You are not safe with a toxic partner. So just keep in mind that there should always be somebody who knows your story. And if you feel like you have to keep your story a secret, I urge you to always be on the lookout for that feeling now. That that should be a red flag or something that you'll feel and know that it's not right. And it won't sit with you and you won't be able to just shrug it off. And you'll learn to develop a boundary that's so strong so that when you sense that, you'll leave that situation and you'll move on. For part of my discovery process, the early part, before I really wasn't sure what was going on, things certainly didn't feel right, but I wasn't quite sure what was wrong. During this time, I felt very protective of him and the need to guard him from the judgment of others. He was always my main concern, never myself. You can bet your ass that this consideration was not returned by him. At this time, I was still trying to uncover where this very needy, injured, and pitiful individual was coming from. This weak and vulnerable person who seemed to poke his head out from time to time and was a complete 180 from the venomous side of him that I usually saw by this point. It was this quality that was just vulnerable enough to justify why I felt so much pity for him. Felt so much guilt at the idea of abandoning him and was willing to sacrifice myself for him. I knew his relationships with everyone else in his life were shallow. Therefore, I had to conclude that I was the only one who was going to put this effort into getting to the root of these problems and hopefully help him. He needed so much help. I didn't know that his issues couldn't be helped with therapy or a pill or a little understanding. I took responsibility for this. What kind of person would I be to abandon a person who was obviously in need of help? But contrary to what outsiders think, being the one who felt obligated to help him did not make me feel better or feel useful. I thought he clearly needed help and there seemed to be nobody else willing to help. And I didn't want to be that person who left an injured animal to die. In my mind, I considered he had unresolved childhood abuse or sexual trauma or untreated bipolar disorder or addiction and even for a while maybe that he had multiple personalities 
Either way, it was an illness, addiction, or unhealed scar. And it's wrong to walk away from someone who's ill or hurting. He fooled me. Should I have known? I didn't want to do it. It was painful and emotionally draining. And I wanted him to heal so that I could walk away without the guilt of abandoning him. I didn't need to fix him. I resented him for needing fixing and everyone else for being too shallow to see that he needed to be fixed. At no point did I think I couldn't do better. I knew that I didn't deserve to be treated this way, but my guilt was overpowering and I'm still not entirely sure how he so extravagantly built that layer of guilt to be so undeniable for me that I would absorb years of abuse and so many attempts to rid him of his pain before finally accepting that the only person who could help him was him. Nor did I get at the time that he would never make this choice. I also didn't know at this point just how much smearing was going on behind my back. All of the time that I was protecting him, covering for him and trying to help him, that he was intentionally driving a wedge between me and any supports I might have had, constantly inventing and sharing just how wretched I was to him, causing his unhappiness. How often he was flat out lying to others about how hard he had it dealing with the likes of me. I even didn't know how he was subtly chipping away at my self-esteem and creating that sense of responsibility that I felt towards him and all of his needs. Eventually to the point that my sole purpose was that responsibility. Denying even my own needs and wants and feeling guilty over even the consideration of deserting a man in need. If you are or have been where I was, you know that this web of confusion and deceit is one that encompasses everything about you and the world you live in. It's huge. No matter where you are in your recovery process, if you have the chance to start writing, I highly suggest you do it. You've been through or are going through an ordeal that is full of immeasurable trauma. And it's likely misunderstood by most people in your inner circle. You may still doubt what actually happened, maybe looking for excuses, maybe willing to take the blame or wondering if you're better off staying where you are or if you'll ever recover enough to move on. Writing was my escape. Seeing it on paper helped me realize how messed up it really was. Helped me to figure out cycles. At first a way to try and see what triggered him to avoid it or try to help him work through it always under the assumption he must really be hurting or dealing with some huge childhood trauma shit or something. He was clearly struggling. I didn't know how to help him, and it consumed me. 
Once he was bad-mouthing me and cheating on me, I paid attention to his every move. Who was he with? What was he doing? What was he telling people about me? I worried nonstop about his needs and what he was doing. I stressed over whether or not he was trying to leave me. I struggled with my desire to leave him and my guilt over it. My thoughts were all over the place and without putting it down on paper or finding a good coach or counselor to discuss it with, it may seem impossible to ever untangle. Maybe you'll be able to untangle some of it while listening. You can find more support on Facebook or Instagram at I Believe Your Abuse. Visit IBelieveYourAbuse.com where you can find support including resources for meetings, support groups, and professionals who specialize in narcissistic abuse. And this is a work in progress. I'll be adding to this list as I locate information. But you can also find the shop there. I Believe Your Abuse raises funds across the U.S. to support narcissistic abuse awareness, to offer relocation assistance to victims in need, to ensure access to professional treatment, and to advocate for education for law enforcement and for those in the criminal justice system with regards to emotional abuse. And you can help support this cause by purchasing gear in our shop, as well as with your purchase of my book. You can send in comments, requests for a specific topic to be addressed on the show, or share your survivor stories by sending an email to ibelieveyourabuse at gmail.com. Be sure to follow the podcast so that you have episodes automatically added for you as they come out. And if you have a friend or family member who's struggling with narcissistic abuse, or who's just willing to understand your experience... Please share the show with them because understanding and awareness is so important. Until next time, own your truth. Never stop telling your story. And know that I believe you.